0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for this morning is our Old Testament lesson recorded for us in the book of Job, the 38th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Then the Lord responded to Job out of a violent storm. He said, "'Who is this who spreads darkness over my plans with his ignorant words? Get ready for action like a man.'" Then I will ask you questions, and you will inform me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand anything about it. Who determined its dimensions? I am sure you know. Who stretched out the surveying line over it? What supports its foundation? Who set its cornerstone in place when the morning stars sang loud songs together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy? who locked up the sea behind doors when it burst out of the womb, when I clothed the sea with clouds, when I wrapped it with thick darkness as its swaddling cloths, when I broke its power with my decree, when I locked it up behind barred double doors, I said, you may come this far, but no farther. Here is the barrier for your proud waves. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, the central question of the book of Job is a question for the ages. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or why do bad things happen to Christians? For Job, it was just too great of a coincidence that all ten of his children were killed in the same day in which he lost all of his flocks and herds and property, utterly destroyed. And not so long afterwards, Job's own health took a turn for the worst, as he was afflicted with festering boils from which he could get no relief. Job knew this wasn't normal. This wasn't a normal tragedy or disaster. God must be behind this. But why? And so throughout the book of Job, he asked that question, why? Why do all of these terrible things occur? Why did they all happen to me? Finally, in this 38th chapter, God begins his response to Job as we consider God and his answer to him. Today, we see in that answer how God really puts things into perspective for us and for Job, and how also he reminds us of his providential care. When Job was suffering with all of these afflictions, and as he was considering them in his mind, His friends heard about it, and they decide that they're going to come to provide him a little counsel and comfort. As they meet with Job, the question comes up of why. Why all these things were taking place. And Job's friends think that they know the answer. That it must be a a cause and effect sort of relationship. They know that God is good and just. Since God is a God of justice, God must be carrying out his justice upon Job. For God is the one who punishes evil and evildoers. Therefore, Job must have done something wrong, something that he wasn't telling them about. And that's the reason why God brought all this calamity upon him. Think about many people in our own world today and also have this same view of God and of the universe to think that God evens the score in this life, in this world, and that's why bad things happen to people all over the place. We often think about it in terms of karma, that Hindu or Buddhist concept of karma, how many people in our society, and even Christians, have kind of bought into this idea that the universe sort of even things out, evens the playing field. That if someone committed a crime, let's say, and was not found to be guilty, or maybe escape punishment, that eventually, somewhere down the line, the universe is going to settle the score and get back at them in this life. And they can expect in some way, whether it's their health deteriorating or some other loss, that they will be punished for it in this life. So too, if someone does that which is good and someone is kind, they can expect that somewhere down the line in this life, in this world, the universe is going to shine down upon them and give them something good and beneficial. We know that God does punish sin, but God has not told us that he brings that punishment upon us always in this life. But rather has reserved that punishment for the day of judgment. In Job in his own life, Job readily acknowledges as he's going back and forth with his friends, yes, I am a sinful man. I deserve nothing good from God. But why then did God wait for this punishment? Why didn't he punish me right at birth? Why wait so many years? Why provide me with so much blessing over the course of my life, only to tear it away now? No, there must be some other reason, Job thought. I've done nothing different, no special sin that I've committed that would bring this upon me now. There must be some other explanation. In fact, Job is so confident in his argument that he even requests that God come down. That he maybe have an opportunity to take God to court, so to speak. To argue his case because Job is confident that he is in the right. God, perhaps, is in the wrong. In 1970, a lawyer from Arizona by the name of Russell T. Tasey filed a suit against God on behalf of his secretary, Betty Penrose, in the amount of $100,000 for damages. Penrose blamed God because her house was hit by a lightning bolt and severely damaged. And so she was taking God to court because God was guilty of negligence, at least she thought. God permitted this lightning bolt to strike her house, and so a suit was officially filed against God, and he was brought to court. But as you might guess, God didn't show up, and Betty did win the case because of God's failure to show up in the courtroom that day. As you can maybe expect, she never was paid, though what she was hoping to get paid. Isn't that the case with us? Sometimes individuals can be so bold, right, to call God to account, just like Job, wanting to blame God for the bad things that happen in their life, bold to bring him to court. We think of it in our own lives. So often we think that we are in the right. Why would God let tragedy strike? Why would he let me suffer from such a horrific disease or take one of my loved ones so soon in their lives? I have done nothing to deserve this. I am in the right, God is in the wrong. And there are times when we are angry with God in his actions. And times when we blame God, when we think we are right and he is wrong. If only God never would have shown up, then maybe Job could have continued in this line of thinking, but God does. After 35 chapters in the book of Job of his friends debating this and Job 2 weighing in, God finally responds, and he answers. And God doesn't answer to confirm that what Job's friends said is true, that God's punishing him. Nor does God answer to defend himself immediately. Rather, God responds with a series of questions that begin with this question. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? In fact, this is just the beginning of some 75-plus scientific questions about the creation, about the world, many of which that Job would have no way of answering. And why does God ask this question of Job? Isn't it to put things into perspective? For Job to remember who is the creator and who is the creature, The God is good and gracious and all-powerful, all-wise, completely just in every way, the same God who created Job in all things and previously blessed Job in so many ways, this same God is far superior and greater than Job, and his ways are far greater than Job's, and he would have Job remember that. Throughout the scripture, we see this analogy, often portrayed in this way, that of picturing God as a potter and us as a lump of clay or a piece of pottery. The prophet Isaiah uses this analogy in his 45th chapter when he says, Woe to him who quarrels with his maker, to him who is but a pot shard among the pot shards on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? As it is not our place. As creatures, to question God, to question his ways, A good and gracious Lord. Rather, our place is to simply trust him, and to trust that his ways are good for us. Reading through the book of Job, though, many might be quite discontent by the answer that's given. Here we have an entire book, an entire book of the Bible, nonetheless, that addresses this question, why do bad things happen to good people? But the answer isn't quite the answer that any of us want. The answer really is simply this, why do bad things happen to good people? Because God allows it. God permits bad things to occur for his good and gracious purpose. We're quite dissatisfied with that response. We want the answer to be something else, perhaps something a bit more under our own control. But this is the answer that God gives to us. In fact, God reminds us of this fact, that God can use and quite often does use tragedy and sorrow and suffering, even in our own life, for a good purpose. As he mentions in Romans chapter 8, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, for those who are called according to His purpose. God tells us plainly that He uses all things, whether good or bad, for His good purpose for us. Certainly, we see this in the Scriptures various times. The first way we see especially God using tragedy for His good purpose is for His plan of salvation. secondly, we also see that God uses bad things that happen in our own lives for his good purpose of strengthening us in the faith. We can think of many examples of heroes of faith in the scriptures. Here's a faith who, who suffered tremendously, yet for God's good purpose. Think especially of Joseph. Joseph had done nothing wrong, apparently, other than telling his brothers some dreams that he had. And yet, they grew so angry with Joseph, they wanted to kill him. And in fact, they end up selling him into slavery, though, again, he'd done nothing to deserve it. And while he's in slavery, while he's serving Potiphar, he follows God's commands and he follows his master, even though we would say he had every right to rebel against it. And yet, what happens? Even though he's doing what is right in God's sight, he's tempted by Potiphar's wife, and even there, he is faithful to God and his word. But she falsely accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison. Another tragedy, though he had done nothing to deserve this. Even in prison, as he meets two prisoners there who serve Pharaoh, he interprets their dreams, but the one forgets all about him. Until one day, when he's mentioned in Pharaoh's court, when Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted, and Joseph does that, we know the rest of the story that Pharaoh then elevated Joseph, took him out of prison and gave him this great position of authority, second in command in all of Egypt. And why did God do all of that? Why did God permit all of that tragedy in, Job's li- in uh, Joseph's life? It wasn't simply because he was planning to give him riches and glory and honor, but for his purpose of preserving the lives of many people, not the least of which were the children of Israel through which would come the line of the Messiah. Or we can think about Naomi. Naomi, who suffered such tragedy and affliction in her life, who because of famine had to leave Bethlehem with her family, and as they go to Moab, soon her husband dies, and then her two sons die, and she's left with nothing, only a daughter-in-law that won't leave her, that she can't get rid of. When she returns again to Bethlehem, As many people are are glad to see Naomi, and they welcome her, she says, Don't call me Naomi, a name that means pleasant. Rather, call me Mara, a name that means bitter, because the Lord has made my life bitter. Naomi's angry with God, angry that she has been afflicted in so many ways that she did not deserve. And yet why? Why? What was God's plan? How was he using all of those bad things for his good purpose? Well, in so doing, he brought Ruth to Bethlehem. And Ruth marries Boaz, and they have a child who is in the line of the Messiah. The line is preserved once again. And Of course, we can't look, overlook the greatest example of this. The greatest example in which God uses tragedy and affliction for his purpose of salvation, of course, in Jesus Christ. How God permitted Jesus to be arrested, how he permitted him to even be wrongfully accused, to be tortured, to be even crucified, so that his plan of salvation could be carried out. So that the punishment for our sins, even those sins when we've been angry with God, when we've accused God of wrongdoing, that even those sins would be covered by Jesus. And God wants us to know today that as we look at tragedy in our own lives, That that tragedy doesn't come to us. The suffering we endure and affliction we endure doesn't come because God is punishing us for our sins. No, our sins have already been punished in his son, Jesus Christ. They've been paid in full. And yet God still has a good purpose in permitting suffering in our lives. And what could that be? We think of in the case of Job, we know what that was, right? That God permitted suffering as a way to strengthen Job's faith. 1st Peter chapter 1 it says this, you have been grieved by various kinds of trials so that the proven character of your faith may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Yes, through affliction, really that faith is made strong to trust in our Savior Jesus. When Things are going so well in our own lives when we have many of thousands of dollars stored up in our bank accounts or retirement accounts, when we have perfect health and perfect health for our family members as well, and so many other things are going so good in our lives, how easy it can be to forget about God and our need for Him. Yes, isn't it in tragedy, isn't it in struggle, isn't it in affliction, in sickness, in the face of death that we are forced to turn to God to come to him in prayer, to ask that he would help us and to see our incredible need for him. Isn't it especially during those times when we realize that this life on this earth is not all there is? And as much as we want to hold on to life here and the things that we have and our loved ones we have here, it isn't all there is. This is a sin-filled and corrupt world. God is bringing us to a much better and perfect place, that home, heaven. And through struggle, through affliction, through sorrow and suffering, God does remind us of that and draws us closer to him. Think about the disciples in our gospel lesson for today, as they're so worried, so afraid, as the storm arises on the Sea of Galilee. Yet Jesus is right there. And when they're afraid, what do they do? They call upon the Lord, and he responds that Jesus calms the wind and the wave, he shows his almighty power, as Job himself testified to God's almighty power, the one that keeps the sea at bay. It's been said that if you would take the entire globe, the entire world, and to flatten it out, to make it as smooth as a billiard ball, that the ocean would cover the earth up to two miles deep. That's how much water is here on this earth. Yet, isn't it amazing that today we stand on dry ground? That God has kept the oceans at bay and given them restrictions and barriers. And the same God is the one that loves us and cares for us dearly. The same one that's in control despite what we may think in our own lives, despite our sufferings and afflictions. And he promises, That through it all, his good and gracious will will be carried out, his good and gracious will for us to bring us to our heavenly home. I think perhaps the most amazing thing for me concerning the book of Job is this. God never tells Job why. He never tells Job really why all of this is happening in his life. Now we know why. Because God revealed that to us in Holy Scripture in the early chapters of the book. He shows us this is a testing of Job's faith. But God never tells Job that he's doing this. He's permitting this as a test of his faith. But what does God say to him? He simply asks Job to trust. To trust him. We can't always see the why. We don't always understand in what way, perhaps even affliction can be a test of our faith, but God does also invite us to trust Him, to trust His good and gracious will for us and for our lives. Yes, let us understand when we want to blame God at times for the terrible things that occur in our own lives, to understand that God is also using these things for His good purpose to know that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. May God help us to trust him always, especially at those times, to know that always his will is good and gracious for us. Amen. Invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore.